Hello, everyone. Thanks so much for listening in to Founders Unfound. If you're excited about what we're trying to do, please follow us at, at Founders Unfound on Twitter or go to our website, Founders Unfound, and sign up for our updates. In this episode, I spoke with Stella Ashaulu, a tech entrepreneur based in Chicago. Some things to listen for how her startup is using data to help companies crack diversity and inclusion, her early entrepreneurial journey with a social enterprise, and how an investor recommended government assistance as an alternative to fundraising. Hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Founders Unfound spotlighting the best startups that you don't know yet. We bring you stories of exceptional founders from underrepresented backgrounds. This is episode one in our series on founders of African descent. It's March 2019, and I'm your host, Dan Kihanya. Let's get on it. Today, we have Stella Asholu, founder and CEO of WeSolve, a startup that uses performance data and predictive analytics to help companies reduce bias and hire for a more diverse workforce. Welcome to the sto- show, Stella, and thank you for making the time. Stella and I have known each other for a bit. We met through this Stars program, and I've been a fan ever since. So thanks so much for joining in our inaugural program. Well, thank you so much for having me. So let's get started. How do you describe what WeSolve does? Yeah, that's a great question because it seems to kind of, um, kind of uh, elude some people initially. Um, I describe what WeSolve does as providing um, proof points or data to help companies assess candidates for the actual skills and competencies that are necessary for a given role, and in doing so, reducing the bias to help them hire a more diverse workforce. And so if we go a little bit deeper, we, we talk about how we use um, research-backed uh, case challenges, which are projects that are built to actually assess these roles and competencies and a um, objective scorecard or rubric to, to create the data that helps companies find the best talent. Awesome. And so do you actually work with a combination of the candidate pool that you bring to these challenges and uh, the content with which they have to um, work with in the challenges? What we do is we we started in the MBA space and we partner with a number of university careers centers, as well as the student-run career clubs. And to date, we're currently the largest network of uh, diverse MBAs in the nation with students from over um, 100 MBA programs. And we're able to bring companies, um, get them access to these diverse talent that they're looking for. But more importantly, we're able to help these companies build and scope these challenges according to the skill sets or the roles that they're looking to hire for and push those to our network so that students can engage with these companies through these challenges and they can identify the best candidate. Nice. Nice. And so how has it been going so far? Um, You know, it's a startup, so it's been exciting without a dull moment. Um, We're really excited. We've been able to bring on some really great customers, um, you know, companies like Salesforce and Discover, you know, as a small startup with not a lot of manpower. I think that was something that our team was really 
um, excited about. Um, but, you know, being in the Techstars program, as well as being able to connect with a lot of different mentors and, and advisors um, has really helped us to kind of push the business um, along. So, Awesome. Awesome. Um, have there have you had any bit recent wins that uh, you want to share or any big news? Yeah. Um, so one, we were recently featured in Forbes, which was pretty exciting um, to get. I saw that. Yeah, That's wonderful. Yeah. That was great. You know, um, I guess recognition from a very well-known publication, but I think um, one of the biggest um, wins for us was one of our flagship customers, Salesforce, we've, um, not only extended our partnership with them, but as we conducted additional challenges, our first challenge, we connected them to 170 um, talented MBAs. This challenge, we connected them to almost 600 MBAs and ultimately were able to identify top performers um, who they actually um, were brought in for on-campus interviews and um, they are making higher. So that was something that was really, really exciting. Wow, great. That sounds uh, terrific. Did they have a process or uh, a channel to accomplish what you bring to them before WeSolve existed? Yes. Yeah, so most companies have some sort of strategy around university recruiting, if that's an area where they have a need for talent, and specifically MBA uh, recruiting, if that's a need. Um, and then they have some elements of diversity uh, recruiting, if that's a focus for the organization. And so while the companies are attempting to connect with this talent and attempting to bring more diverse candidates into their pipeline, what we found is that they're still struggling either because their um, channels are the same channels as their closest competitors and there's not really a means for them to, to stand apart, or they're only reaching out to limited pools. So for instance, you know, going to the diversity organizations of maybe like three or four schools in their um, local vicinity. And so uh, we're the first platform that actually expands that reach nationally and not only connects companies to, you know, the top tier institutions that, you know, um, a lot of these enterprise organizations think about, but also, you know, schools that might be outside of their local region, smaller organizations, and, and the schools where a lot of really great diverse talent are, but they just need to be able to reach them. Nice, nice. Yeah, I mean that that uh, makes a lot of sense that you would increase the 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 scope and the breadth um, and the availability of the candidate pool um, with a uh, with the experience that you're providing. Um, that's awesome. How long has the company uh, been operating? So we um, officially became a company in uh, early 2016, but we actually launched our MVP um, in 2017, early 2017, and uh, recently launched kind of our, our beta platform um, in April after completing Techstars. So it, it's been a little while of really focusing on the um, methodology, the research, the science of what we were building and um, building that network. And now we're really turning on kind of the levers of, you know, growing the number of companies that we work with and applying this model to help more diverse candidates get 
access to, to companies and roles. Nice, nice. Can, uh, can you tell me a little bit about how you actually came up with this idea? I mean, where, where did the origin of WeSolve come from? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm originally from the Bay Area, and I went to UCLA for undergrad. And while I was there, I started an affordable tutoring company focused on providing access to supplemental education to lower income families or folks who just couldn't afford the Sylvans and the Cumans um, of the world. And um, I think that was kind of my early toe dip into entrepreneurship. Um, but after graduating, I continued to, to grow and scale that company and then also started working at a law firm. But I decided that rather than go back and get my JD, I wanted to just focus on the business side and, and went to get my MBA. And I was looking to get more corporate experience under my belt and, and was very interested in consulting. But I just had a really difficult time with that recruiting process. Um, having started uh, Westside Student Tutors and you know, working in, in the legal industry, it wasn't typical of many of my peers. I didn't have that same background that a lot of the consulting firms kind of were used to. And I also didn't have the network um, that, you know, might open doors. And so I had to find real projects, whether it was through class or things I sought out elsewhere, or even case competitions as a way to um, not only build my skills and learn more than what I was actually learning in the classroom, but to showcase to these companies what skills and talent I had. And I always found that, you know, when I performed really well on a, a competition or in a project, the company was really eager to recruit me. And um, I was the same candidate, but now I was able to, you know, get those offers. And so fast forward, I didn't realize it at the time, all that was setting me up for WeSolve. Fast forward um, to actually consulting, and, and I actually went to a firm called Gallup, and um, I did a lot of big data projects, um, projects working with um, HR, talent acquisition, um, selection, um, and I realized that a lot of my clients were just struggling with how they um, attract and retain um, you know, quality workforce, and when it came to diversity, it was even worse. And so all of those experiences together kind of made it very clear that there was a need for companies to get access to more diverse talent and to be able to assess that talent based on actual skill set or performance. Um, because, you know, the behavioral interviews or what a resume says isn't really indicative of how somebody is going to perform and it's completely biased. And so all of that led me to what is this model or process? How can we create a, a data set and an algorithm to really assess talent based on how people perform and give access to um, candidates to showcase that performance? Nice. I mean, the best startups, in my experience, are ones where people see and experience and live in a visceral way the problem they're trying to solve. And it sounds like you, you went through it. Uh... Uh, all the way. So um, it's great that uh, you're using that, the challenges you faced to, uh, uh, to be the, the genesis for WeSolve. What's, uh, what's been a big surprise for you about, uh, it sounds like you had a startup experience uh, prior. 
Um, but with WeSolve, what's been what's been one of the bigger surprises for you that you didn't expect in your startup journey? Well, I'll definitely give the note that my first, you know, Westside Student Tutors, it was definitely not a tech startup. It was kind of like, you know, I was like, oh, this is a business I can create. And, you know, I was not even thinking at the scale of the kind of venture type of organization that we're building today. But I guess the biggest surprise, I think there's a surprise every day, but the the biggest surprise to me was that there are so many different kind of roadblocks to building a you know viable solution and regardless of whether you get funding you don't get funding you know it's just a really really difficult process and so when people say you know oh if i would have known how hard it would have been i don't know if i would have done it I always thought that was kind of like a crazy thing to say, especially when they were successful in saying that. But I now get that. I, I get it. It's not necessarily that they wouldn't have been where they are at that moment. It's that you never know how much you can actually achieve until you're forced to do it. And if you saw what it was going to take in the beginning, you probably wouldn't think that you'd be able to do it. And so I think that's something that I'm kind of learning every day is that I can do a little bit more than I thought I could because I'm always forced to do a little bit more, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, the way I always look at a startup uh, journey is you're, you're sort of running a marathon at a sprint pace without a course map. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Sounds pretty impossible. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so you just got to sort of tell yourself, okay, well, you know, I, somehow I need to get around the next corner and then we'll figure out, uh, you know, what's after that, the next 100 yards. And, you know, either either you're trying to change something that there hasn't been a solution for like yours, or you have competition because people have woken up to the fact that uh, what you're doing is working uh, and they want to emulate it in either way you're running hard and so um and because you're a nimble small company you can kind of take many different paths you're not set in your ways and so that it, it like you said it creates a from a rational perspective a seemingly impossible journey um that does it but then you see people yeah. succeed and you think well it's possible so it's not impossible so let's give it a shot exactly you started your first company um sounds again like that was a social mission uh, you kind of had a passion a little altruistic um feeling around that did you think about starting the business as an entrepreneur or did you think about it as there's a problem there's a there, there's an opportunity or there's a there's something missing in the market for this group of people um there's many ways potentially to solve this i could go join a company and try to build that product line or i could start my own endeavor how did you make that decision initially did you feel like you wanted to be an entrepreneur earlier in life or did you sort of stumble on it i'm always curious sort of how people what was the, what was sort of that decision point about becoming an entrepreneur? Because you hear many stories about the 
person selling lemonade when they're kids and then the other person who spends you know 40 years uh you know going through the quote-unquote normal route and then finally saying okay i know enough and i'm tired of doing it the normal way and now i want to make my mark a different way so there's many different ways to come to being a founder so i'm just curious what your epiphany moment was i think I've always just been a very curious person. And I think that was kind of what, curious and also just really confident in in my ability to do things that might not seem very rational. And so I think that's what kind of made me feel like, oh yeah, I could definitely start this tutoring company. Um, But when it came to WeSolve, it was more of just, being really curious about this problem, something that I saw and getting an idea in my head. And the more I investigated that, the more that I realized, you know, this was something that there was a really big market opportunity. It was a really big need. And if I didn't do it, who was going to do it? And so I think I kind of had originally kind of the, the foundations for entrepreneurship in the sense that being curious and always wanting to know how things work and how people did things and how problems were were solved. I think that in itself helped me to kind of be able to take the leap into entrepreneurship. But I think it was really just finding a problem that I felt like needed to be solved and that I was the person to solve it better than anybody else. Um, And then now in doing that, I've unfortunately caught the disease where I don't know what else I would be doing if it wasn't building, you know, a company and, and solving a, a big problem. I think a lot of us fall into that. Uh, once you, once you sort of experience that, it's hard to, to think about, uh, there's a, there's an ad campaign I saw recently with Sofia Vergara and she talked about how once you're in the first class in the airline, it's like, it's hard to go back to coach. I think it's a, an analogous for us as, as entrepreneurs. Too bad it doesn't feel like first class all the time. No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not the luxury. It's uh, it's more like the uh, self, uh, self-inflicted self punishment. Exactly. Exactly. But we know no other way. Yeah. Um, well, I guess maybe a little bit along those lines. Um can you can you share a little bit about some of the, the maybe your darkest uh, episodes or some things that have been a real struggle for you? Uh, I know that um, you know one of the things I've been thinking about is uh, maybe having a segment in my show called uh, "Nothing Ventured, Nothing Pained," where I ask about what's been a positive uh, fundraising experience and what's been a uh, let's just say a more challenging fundraising experience or anecdote. Um, and uh, as a as an underrepresented founder, I'm sure that you have um, some interesting stories that may uh, relate to that as well, but not limiting it to that. But is there anything that you'd want to share with the audience about just sort of something that uh, was sort of a dark day? Yeah, sure. Um, I think, you know, it's been a combination. Like, it's no secret that uh, Black women are the least funded um, entrepreneurs out there. And if the audience didn't know, I am a Black woman. Um, and so I've had some very interesting, um, you know, stories. Um, I think for me, going through Techstars, and we have a thing called 
mentor madness, where we're just meeting with a bunch of you know established mentors, whether they're in industry as well as investors. And we just got such great positive feedback about what we were building. And you know, to this date, we still get such positive feedback. Um, but what I found when I actually you know, got on the the fundraising journey was that, you know, a lot of those stereotypes or a lot of those kind of challenges that, you know, are being talked about as far as like what women or um, specifically women of color often face while, you know, investing, finding those to be true is kind of a very disheartening um, experience. And I, I guess to give uh, root that in an actual example. Um, I was speaking with an investor who loved what we were doing, and you know, somebody had connected me with her um, because she um, has been known to uh, fund women and, and folks of color. And so, in a conversation, um, I was taking a call with her, and I had someone else on my team there. She was mentioning that, you know, she doesn't invest in minority founders for altruistic reasons, but because she knows that they have a more difficult time raising money and she can get a better better deal. Wow. And so that was definitely kind of like a shock um, to like hear that and to realize, wow, this is what I'm going to be going through. And not every interaction has been as, you know, blatantly obnoxious as that but you know that was definitely a a dark moment when I realized you know I've got to play this game differently the rules that apply to me are not the same rules that apply to everyone else and you know it's just another challenge that's par for the course so that's uh that's pretty amazing that somebody would brazenly say that um that's uh even if you thought that that uh that was the biggest shock because it was like I'm not I don't think you're the only person who has ever had that thought, but the fact that you feel so bold to say that to me, that was the bigger, like, whoa. Yeah. My goodness. Wow. I mean, there's been a few doozies out there. I've also had, you know, somebody suggest that I use government assistance to stay afloat while building my company. And by government assistance, it took me a while to realize that she meant food stamps. Food stamps. Yes, as that I should get on food stamps and government assistance in order to um, build my company and not need funding right away. Wow. I'm a man of few words, but even that makes me speechless. (laughs) I mean, that just goes to show how, how far we have to go. I mean, it's one thing to have unconscious bias, but if we still have blatant disregard for um i mean that's just you know against dignity and 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 respect i mean that's wow that uh kind of blows me away to to i mean obviously it won't have you call them out but on the positive side have you had anything that's been surprisingly positive um from your fundraising experience yeah actually i mean i think the biggest thing that I've taken away from our, our fundraising experience, and we definitely have a, a long way to go, is that a lot of people are really excited about the problem we're solving and about 
we solve's unique approach to solving it. And so, you know, I've I've heard stories where um, founders are kind of hit in the you know in the gut when they go out fundraising and realizing that nobody believes in what they're doing, or that you know their approach might be wrong. And so that has not been our case. Um, so that part has been positive, even though it'd be a lot greater if we had more investors <laughs> pulling the trigger on that those initial investments, but. Um, with our early investors, we have a few angels that that we have um, on board right now. And what we found was just that folks who are really passionate about this problem, you know, who really get what we're, we're solving and that there's a big need for this, um, have been really, really receptive. And so our earliest investors are very available. Um, I don't know if you want names, but, you know, we have a few angels that we um, brought on um, that are in Seattle and are so helpful when it comes to anything that we need um, and that have just true faith in our ability to tackle this huge problem and the need for it. And so that's been something that's been very positive as well as something that has, you know, kind of pushed us to continue, you know, um, pushing through through the, the struggles and the, the challenges that we face. Um, so I would I would definitely say all of our investor stories have not been so horrible. And even just, you know, things like having an investor invest in us after one meeting because they were so confident in the investor who introduced us and, you know, getting to know me in that conversation. I think those have been kind of some of the more positive experiences we've had. Yeah, it's a very interesting experience uh, to raise money and the the signaling that goes on. Some of it you can influence, some of it you can't, and who you know and who you get to know and who's in first and what kind of dominoes can fall and what kind of credibility you can get from participating first and um, or who passes if that becomes uh, something that people know. So it's a, it's a tricky, it's a tricky journey for sure. Um, So thanks. Thanks for sharing that. No problem. So with the idea of having a candidate pool um, or sort of a, a candidate channel, you have sort of one constituency then you have the corporations or the companies that want to hire those candidates as a as a second constituency. You have almost a kind of a marketplace model, um, which means as a startup, you go through that chicken and an egg um, sort of dilemma of how do you get the candidates to attract the companies and how do you get the companies with the roles and the uh, the jobs that'll attract the candidates. Have you, uh, how have you, tackled that challenge and how have you been able to address that? Yeah, I think early on, um, we got some really great advice and just kind of saw that there was going to be a need to focus on one side slightly first. Um, And what we realized was that on the university side or the student side, there was a strong need 
for this type of solution. Um, candidates didn't really have a centralized place to be able to get access to real opportunities to work on projects like this or to build the experience that companies um, often say they are looking for or need to um, you know, hand out the jobs. And so it was really easy for us to you know, kind of slap together a Wix website and say, hey, this is what we're providing and push that out. And, and we just got a lot of great um, response from candidates early on um, before we really had much to offer them. And so once we saw that, we were then able to go back to companies and say, you know, this is the demographic of the candidates we have on our platform. Um, they come from these schools. And that's how we were able to land some of the big companies um, that we've been able to bring on board. Um, but something that's a little bit interesting about, you know, WeSolve's model, most marketplace companies, when you think about how they grow, um, they have to spend a lot of you know money or time or effort growing one side of the marketplace. And what we found was that our users actually grow when we have challenges. So it was most important that we had access to the candidates, whether they were on our platform or not. Because when we brought a great company and a great challenge on board, we're able to get hundreds and hundreds of candidates signing up at a time. And so that was kind of the, the game we played. And we realized, you know, having that direct access was really important to building that platform growth. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, especially since you deal with, uh, from a university perspective, the candidate pool turns over. Um, every every one to two years, uh, especially on the MBA side. So you have to have a consistent pipeline, so to speak, which is relationship built. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I always am interested to hear how people try to solve the chicken and the egg. I've, I've gone through it myself a couple of times and there never seems to be one size fits all approach. Um, so it's uh, thanks for yeah, I, I definitely agree. It was, well, what value can we provide to the student side independent of the companies and use that to, to bring them on board and then go and get the other side? Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense for sure. So as a small company and uh, emerging, growing, what uh, what's some of the current challenges that you're facing right now? Yeah, well, what are the challenges we aren't facing right now, I think <laughs> is the question. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I guess some of the challenges that we're facing is as a small team, there's that endless number of things to focus on. And we have to be really laser focused on what are the KPIs, what are the metrics or the things that or the proof points that we need to get us to the next stage. And oftentimes, a lot of those things are um they require us, you know, either bringing on more folks on the team to focus on or spending certain resources. And as a small company, it was really originally bootstrapped up until, you know, joining Techstars, we had had no investment. Um, it was really how do you focus on all of these many things that need to be done with, um, you know, within such tight resource constraints. Um, and so that's kind of been our biggest challenge. Um, I think. It's been really difficult for us to navigate being able to grow and scale the company as fast as we know that we can, while also trying to, you know, seek out the resources that we need to be able to do that. So that kind of 
spreading of priorities, I think, is is a real big challenge. Certainly, certainly a, a tough thing for most startups. There's always finite resources, uh, uh, the most preci- precious of uh, which is most likely time, um, which which you battle against for sure. How as a as a team, I guess, and as a CEO. What kind of culture have you built to try and, as you say, navigate the challenge of um, how do you stay focused, um, but also uh, nimble enough to evolve and be reactive to customers and uh, and partner opportunities, investment opportunities, and what lessons have you learned around um, growing a team in a in a fast moving startup? Well, I've definitely learned some some lessons. Um, I think when we think about culture, I think WeSolve has kind of a unique advantage in the sense that we're a social enterprise that is very mission-driven. And so what that's been able to do for us is get people on board with what we're doing because they're passionate about the mission and what we're building. And I think, you know, it's no secret not that, you know, we're only working with millennials, but, you know, this there's a change in kind of the way people think about work nowadays. And they want to do something that's meaningful and they want to do something that they're passionate about. And that's kind of something that we instill in this culture that to be on this team, um, there has to be some sort of alignment and passion about the mission that we're on. And that's what I see actually works to kind of drive uh, folks to give it their all and to, you know, um, demand a lot of their peers and also deliver deliver a lot. Um, because, you know, we're, we're a team that's kind of driven by this higher um, focus and goal than, you know, just a job or, or each other. Um, another thing that has been really um, critical to our culture has been transparency. Um, From day one, I wanted to build a team and a company that didn't have all of those problems that we're always seeing in the news when you think about lack of diversity or a culture where people are not able to bring their full selves to work or, you know, a lot of things that include bias. And we wanted to make sure that transparency was something that we built into the culture from things like having uh, calendars completely visible, um, letting anybody have the ability to ask questions about, you know, revenue, about business goals, about strategy, um, and then also being very cognizant of the differences that we all have and and not making decisions or policies or things like that um, just based off of status quo, but really looking to how do we get the objective handled, but still accommodate the the differences or the uniqueness uh, that each of us bring to the table. And then to your question about some lessons that I've learned, um, you know, building a team is no easy feat and managing a high-performing team is is even harder. And um, there's going to be mistakes that are made. Um, That's a given. Um, but you hear things like hire slow, fire fast, and it's much easier to say than to actually do in reality. And one of the things that I've learned is that, you know, it's really important to understand what the the skill set, 
what the culture, what, what it is that you're looking for on your team. And if it seems like there's not a fit, trust yourself to make that decision and don't operate out of fear, um, which I think is something that, you know, I have been guilty of in the past where it was like, you know, this is a great person on the team, but if they're not contributing exactly what we need right now, you know, it's better to make that decision so that we won't be operating, you know, kind of operating under a pretense that's not really uh, what we should be, uh, how we should be operating. Yeah, that's a that's a very tough one that I had to learn myself. And uh, uh, one of my friends refer- refers to it as um, applying SAV versus just ripping the Band-Aid. Um, and at the end of the day, is sometimes you know just ripping the band aid is the way to go, even though it feels like you're leaving a hole in terms of a resource and in terms of uh, you know the work getting done and and uh, putting yourself behind. But um, that misalignment, you know, if it's if it continues, can be compounding uh, in terms of setting you back. So exactly. Exactly. If you can't see the wound, you don't really know what you need to do to fix the problem. So that's kind of been my big lesson. Well, it's better to learn that uh, early on and uh, makes you makes you stronger uh, for the challenges that come come uh, in the future. As a, a, a black founder, are there have there been people, uh, organizations, inspirations, are there things that, uh, you know, part of our audience is aspiring entrepreneurs of color and what, uh, have there been catalysts for you that have helped you specifically as an underrepresented founder to help you move forward that you'd want to share with the audience? Um, yeah, definitely. Um, so here in Chicago, there's an organization or a group called I'm Black in Tech. And so for me as a, you know, early tech founder who, even though I'm from Silicon Valley and I had kind of started a company, tech was something so foreign to me. I had no idea. I literally Googled how to build a website when I wanted to start WeSolve. Um, <laughs> nice. I'm not kidding. <laughs> nice. So... You know, there were organizations like I'm Black in Tech here in Chicago um, that that helped. Um, now there's starting to be more of those types of resources, you know, whether it be in the Bay Area or, you know, certain organizations that are focused on women founders. And while none of these are silver bullets, just having that community and knowing that there's other folks who look like you and have limited networks sometimes like you might was something that was definitely really motivating and kind of encouraging to, to keep moving forward. I think also kind of the, the biggest, I don't know if this is something that's for black founders or just founders in general. What I've learned is that, I mean, everyone knows that relationships are really important, but it's really important to put yourself out there. And by put yourself out there, I mean finding the people who have either the solutions, the answers, the knowledge, resources, whatever it might be that you need, and asking for help. Um, I think sometimes, you know, we might feel like 
we can't do that or that there are certain circles that we don't have, um, you know, access to. And I think I like to say closed mouths don't get fed. So whether you have to be scrappy, whatever it is you have to do is, you know, find a way to get to those people and just ask. And not everyone will say yes, but many will. And you'll be surprised what kinds of, you know, connections, resources, and and help that you can get. And I think, you know, as Black founders, sometimes, you know, we don't know that we can do that as well. And so that's kind of the biggest thing that I would like to put out there. That's great. And I love that saying, closed mouths don't get fed. Uh, um, It's so true. And sometimes I think that um, we, we act like we don't belong at the table or we're just, you know, lucky enough or fortunate enough to be invited as opposed to participating. And um, I've, I've learned along the way, definitely, the answer to the unasked question is almost always no. So if you don't bother to ask, exactly, you may still get a no, but there's a chance you'll get a yes. And so you should ask. Um, so you're absolutely right. Um, and uh, that's part of the perseverance you need to have as an entrepreneur in general. But I think as a, as a Black founder, for sure, you have to have that resilience um, to to put yourself into the fray again and again, uh, which you obviously have demonstrated uh, throughout your career and specifically with WeSolve. Well, as we as we come down to the to to the end of this episode, I just have a couple more questions. Um, what brings you joy with your startup, Stella? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, somebody actually asked me that recently. They're like, if you could do something else, what would you do? It was in a particularly like rough moment. And the answer was I'd be doing the same thing. I think what brings me joy in relation to the startup is seeing the evolution of a solution that is really going to solve a problem and and have impact on people's lives. And um, to give you an example of that, you know, when we host a challenge, um, I'm pretty involved still since we're pretty early on. And there are opportunities for, you know, me to engage with the, the participants. And the number of candidates that respond saying, thank you so much for this opportunity. Nothing like this exists. We really love what you're building. Those types of moments give me the joy that like gives me the the power to or the energy to keep going um despite the hard parts and I just love figuring things out and so you know it's kind of like the excitement of of this startup world is you know how do we make this better? How do we build a solution that is gonna really you know create impact and and that for me is is when I feel like I'm living in my purpose, and so that gives me joy. Nice, nice. That's where you want to be for sure. If you if uh, if you if you said it was uh, figuring out your seven year pro forma, uh, <laughs> probably a, a little disconnect. <laughs> um, I mean, it's good to build a business, but um... <laughs> not not quite. But actually, that that's not too bad when you start seeing the dollars that we're going to be bringing in. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Um, what uh, what advice would you give the pre-WeSolve version of yourself? 
I think the pre-WeSell version of myself would have uh, benefited from surrounding myself with folks that I admired and saw, you know, were either building something or, you know, working on something in any way possible. So meaning just what value could I add to, you know, any of those folks just to be around them and to get exposure to what they do, how they do it, and, um, you know, get a little bit more insight that I think is so valuable. I know, you know, the whole internship idea and working for free, like nobody really wants to do that all the time. But in reality, you know, those experiences are priceless. And in hindsight, I realize that, you know, having been, let's just say, you know, take a, a startup founder and having that proximity could have really helped me to understand what is it that a founder needs so that I could have been sure to make sure I was developing all of those skills and all of those abilities, you know, sooner rather than later. Um, so definitely would have advised myself to to take advantage of that time specifically while I was in business school. That's great insight. Um, when, when people come up to me and ask for advice about how to, to uh, become a founder or do startups or enter entrepreneurship, I say reverse engineer it, meaning exactly what you just said. What, what is it that you want to do? You know, you may not have your idea crystallized, but maybe you have an area that you want to take on or an industry that you want to stay in. How do you become competent at the things that you'll need to do, not just from a domain expertise point of view, but how do you, if you're a technical person, how do you start to understand finance? How do you start to understand sales, right? Is there opportunities working for somebody else on their dime to get exposure to those things so that when you're entering the startup fray that you are not completely blindsided or just say, well, I'm going to build a great product and then everything else will take care of itself, for instance. Or if you're a non-tech person, how can you, you know, get more involved with tech teams uh, at a company? Or, or if you're not at a company, like you said, how can you take on some of those um, opportunities where you can moonlight or uh, do some internships or some some freelancing or some pro bono stuff where you're getting experience in exchange for either low pay or, or, or gratis work. Um, so that's what, that's what I always suggest. So you, it sounds like you'd have the same, same type of advice. Well, this has been so wonderful. Thank you so much, Stella. And, um, why don't you tell the folks where they could find out more information about we solve? Sure. So you can find us at www.wesolve, spelled W E S O L V. Dot com, And you can also find us on all the social media channels. So LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And our handle is WeSolve, W-E-S-O-L-V. No E at the end. Nice. Nice. Again, thank you so much. Uh, this has been a great first episode. You've been listening to Founders Unfound, where we spotlight and highlight the best startups that you don't know yet, underrepresented founders. Thanks and have a great day. <laughs>